So tonight we are concluding our series on gathering together, why we gather together as a people. And it seems like every message over the last 18 months has begun the same way. I've been guilty of it. It's kind of rehearsing all that we've gone through. Uh, and I'm not going to do that right now. I know that's a, a, a very real thing that we're still in with the pandemic and racial unrest and very real challenges that we're facing. And so maybe there's a feeling of being lost or, or kind of stuck in that, what's happening more broadly in the world today. But I want to speak uh, tonight more specifically to those of you who might feel lost or unsettled in a massive transition, transition that's happening right here at Grace Covenant Church. Like if there was ever a time to transition church leadership, and some of you, if you're new, you may not know what we're talking about. Our senior pastor, Pastor Brett, who's been leading this church for over 30 years, is passing this on to the next generation. He's not going anywhere. He's going to be here. Don't be alarmed. But you have young leaders like Pastor uh, AJ, myself, Pastor Tellis, Pastor June, Pastor Corey, a whole list of others, Miata, who are taking this mantle of leadership. It just so happens to be hap- it's, it just so happens that it's happening right during the craziness of everything that's go- been going on in our world. And so you take the craziness of this, the life, the world that we live in, you take the craziness of a once-in-a-lifetime transition that a church experiences when the senior pastor passes the baton to the next generation, there can be feelings of unsettledness. There can feel like a lack of clarity. Where do I fit in all that? Do I want to rally around these leaders? Where's my place? Am I going to have a spot? Am I going to have a place on this team? And I want to speak to those of you tonight who feel a lack of clarity, who maybe you feel like you're on the fringes. I was listening to Stephen Mansfield, who's a leader here in our church who has an amazing podcast, and he talked about just with everything going on with the pandemic, the personal transitions that many people are experiencing. So for instance, in three months in spring in 2021, 11.5 million people in the United States quit their job. 48% of employees right now are looking for another job. So even personally, maybe you're experiencing some transition. You just moved here to this area. Maybe you just started coming to Grace Covenant Church. Maybe you're about to move away. Maybe you're about to uh, change jobs. And that, that transition can feel unsettling. So you take those three things, kind of overarching what we're facing in our world, a transition in our church, what you may be experiencing personally, how do we find clarity in all that? That's where we're headed tonight. The title of my message is A Sudden Clarity. A Sudden Clarity. Turn, if you would, or look up on your phones to Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3. We're going to look at three verses and just three verses and look at three characteristics of a church that was in a very similar situation as we find ourselves in. Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2, while they were worshiping and the Lord 
sorry, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, this feels like a very transitional passage, kind of like a footnote, helping us get from big idea in Acts to the next big idea. You might just kind of read right through this, but can I let you know, in this situation, in this church, there are massive upheavals happening. The cultural background, the historical background of this church, they're going through huge transitions. Here are four of them. Number one, the church leader of the time, Peter. You know, the guy Jesus had said, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. The father of the church in Jerusalem. Still prominent, still leader. But in the book of Acts, his leadership is starting to move to the background. And a new leader is emerging, the apostle Paul. This leader was the guy who had moments ago, chapters ago, had been killing Christians. It's a sudden change. It's a big transition. We like Peter. He was endearing. And now we have this guy who killed a member of our community. Here's the second big transition. As a part of the leadership transition, there was a change in the focus of ministry. So up until this point, primarily Jesus ministered to the lost sheep of Israel. He's primarily ministering to Jews. Peter is kind of the father of Christianity to Jews. That's where his ministry primarily was. But then there's this shift leading up to Acts chapter 13, where now all of a sudden there's this opening up for Gentiles. It was always there, but now it's becoming more prominent, more pronounced. So now the church is trying to figure out all that comes with that, how to do church how to do potlucks with Jews and Gentiles, uh, how to speak different languages at church services, um, how to figure out religious days of observance, how to relate to the law, which Pastor AJ talked about earlier, what it looks like for Jews and Gentiles in the whole history of salvation. They're trying to figure all this out. Thirdly, there is a worldwide famine happening. Worldwide famine. Not sure if you've ever experienced a famine. I haven't. Doesn't happen very often in North America. But if in other parts of the world, in Africa, in the Middle East, when there's famine, that means no food. When there's no food, that means people are starving to death. And so the church leaders feel responsibility, as they should, to care for their flock and to provide food for their flock in Judea and Jerusalem. So they're trying to figure that out. Fourthly, there is intense persecution. Peter's been thrown in jail twice. Stephen, we already talked about him. He's been stoned. Okay, he died. You got the uh, Peter, James, and John, the three closest friends of Jesus. James has been killed. So there's persecution everywhere. So you take those four things. What do you think the average person in the church of Antioch, which is the church we're looking at today, what do you think they're feeling? What do you think they're sensing? They're trying to find some sense of certainty, some solid footing. And when there's this kind of upheaval, upheaval, when there's this kind of transition and uncertainty, generally we have two responses. One is to try to hold on to things. Try to keep things the same. If everything is changing, we try to grab onto something that will not change. And so in this church, and we'll look at it here in a second, you have these incredible leaders. You have Saul, you have Barnabas, you have these three anointed guys whose names are hard to pronounce. 
But I would imagine the tendency is like, okay, let's hold on to this because we got a good thing going. Sure, there's all this uncertainty, but we have some good church leaders. We have these five guys we trust. They preach the, the word great. We got Paul one day. We got Barnabas the next day. Let's keep this thing going. Let's ride this thing out, and then we'll think about what's next for us as a church. That's our natural tendency when we go through a big transition is to hold on to what was. Or secondly, we disengage. Disengaging is easier. There's so much happening, then we just kind of take a step back and say, okay, well, I'm going to wait for them to figure it out. I'll be over here. Call me when things are sane. The problem is neither of those two things produce clarity. They just delay or postpone the uncertainty that we feel. And so I want us to look at today three characteristics of this church that resulted in a sudden clarity so we can apply those principles to the situation we find ourselves in. Number one, verse one. In this church of Antioch, 300 miles north of Jerusalem, this thriving metropolis, a cosmopolitan area, the third most important city in the Roman Empire. This was just like Washington, D.C. You had people from all different backgrounds, people from all over the world. You had some gifted leaders, prophets and teachers. I mean, look at this lineup. You got Barnabas, who was so anointed as a prophet. His name means son of encouragement. It's like, dude, you are so good. We're printing your name on a business card. Just You're going to be prophet, son of encouragement. You got Saul, who I don't probably have to go into too much depth with you about him. I mean, he's written, what, a third of the New Testament books, if you're counting them by number, two-thirds if you're counting by volume, going all across the world, preaching the gospel, amazing preacher, teacher of the word. This church was gifted. And these two men, Saul and Barnabas, spent a year in Antioch teaching the people there. And I can imagine they soaked up every word. It's like every time Pastor Brett or Pastor Jim gives us a word, we got our notes ready. We're ready for for manna from heaven. That was Saul and Barnabas. Then you got these three other dudes. Simeon. You got Manaean. You got this guy named Lucius. So you had incredible group of gifted leaders, but then you also had a very diverse group of leaders. These leaders were both gifted and diverse. So Simeon, who was also called Niger, Niger in Latin means black. So this is a man from Africa. You got Lucius from Cyrene, another part of North Africa. So if anybody ever tells you Christianity is a white man's religion, point them to Acts chapter 13 and say, Two black brothers were leading the church. So you got Simeon and Lucius. Lucius probably is coming from Jerusalem after Stephen gets persecuted. There's a group of people who go from there to Antioch and start the church. He's probably one of the church founders, gifted, anointed from Africa. Then you got this guy, Manaean. Now, Manaean is described as a friend of Herod Antipas. Now, Herod is that wild, crazy lunatic of a leader who oversaw John the Baptist being killed. That was Herod, okay? Oversaw Jesus's uh, trial. Remember, he passed him back to Pontius Pilate, didn't intervene. So he's a madman. And in the process of him killing John the Baptist, he imprisons them, and then he kills John the Baptist, The text doesn't say this, but 
Manaean is a friend of Herod Antipas. And the, the literal meaning there, if you look at the original language, is he was like a foster brother. He was someone who was raised up with Herod. So Herod and him are on the playground growing up during that time. He is of this noble royalty. He's the inner crowd. He's a part of the influential people, the people with political power. So how do you think he came to know Christ? I would guess that when John the Baptist preached this message for Herod to repent, one guy didn't listen, Herod, and it ended up really bad for him. He ended up dying. Okay, God cursed him and he died right there in the moment. This other guy, his buddy who he grew up with, received the message, and took the gospel to Antioch. So you have this eclectic group of leaders who are anointed, who are diverse. Why did God assemble this diverse group of leaders? Because he called them to minister in a diverse city. I would imagine that as these five men are leading, and there's all of a sudden a famine that's really affecting the part of the church in Jerusalem, that these guys, Manaean and Lucius and Simeon, look at their Jewish brothers in the Lord from Jerusalem and say, you know what? If I care about these two men, we should probably do something about this famine. I would imagine that the apostle Paul and and his compatriot, Barnabas, two Jewish men, look at two black brothers and go, huh, maybe the gospel isn't just for us Jews. Maybe it's actually for the whole known world. Maybe knowing them and being in relationship with them fueled the gospel to the ends of the earth. I would imagine this guy, Manaeus, who, you, I mean, you picture, Herod has just killed James, like a guy on staff at Grace Covenant Church. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about Herod? How do you feel about the, the, the political elite at that point? You want to cast them off. You want to distance themselves. It's too painful to even associate or even to think about those guys. But then here's this guy who grew up in the same household as the guy who killed your boy. And you're facing him every day. You're going to love him? You're going to serve him? You're going to minister to those very people? Well, who did Saul go and preach the gospel to? The rest of Acts. He went from one political leader, powerful ruler to the next because he had to look at Manan every day. So God, in his sovereignty, inspired by the Holy Spirit, assembled this team of anointed, gifted, diverse leaders. And if you want to have clarity, you want to try to navigate what's going on in a church, what's going on in your own personal life, what's going on in society, can I make a suggestion that maybe God has given you leaders to help you navigate the uncertainty. See, when it comes, we all have certain people we like their preaching style, certain people we resonate with, but could it be the very people that we're complaining, oh man, I can't believe Stephen Law is preaching this Sunday. I'm going to take this Sunday off. Is the, is the person that God has given you is a part of that eclectic, diverse team that God wants to give you clarity for your situation. And by distancing yourself, you know, and I, it's kind of a long drive to, to Chantilly. I'll just watch online today. There are moments for that. I'm thankful for that. There are moments that we had our child, we were watching online, and we were grateful. There are moments I know some of you, you know, had health issues. Thank God for church online. I know some of you guys found the church by tuning in from Indiana or tuning in from Bahamas. Praise God for church online. But there's no substitute for meeting in person. 
There's no substitute for seeing a spiritual leader, someone God has appointed to lead you, and they're imperfect, and they got their own insecurities, and they got their own flaws, but who loves you and cares for you and can look you in the eye and say, you know what, something's probably off right now. Can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? You don't get that online. Sorry, you don't get Pastor AJ. I mean, he's popping out on the bubble, you know, in the, in the bumper in the beginning, but he's not going to ask you how you're doing. I was the church online pastor for a season. I don't know how. I wasn't very good at it, but I was. Love church online. But there's no substitute for bumping into each other on Sunday mornings of a timely word of God from somebody, uh, someone on staff or someone in your small group. There's no substitute for that. Now, in America, we don't really like authority. We don't like spiritual authority. Some of us, we idolize a pastor. Most of us are not doing that. None of us, I'm not suggesting today that your pastors are super spiritual, elite, perfect. All I'm saying is God has ordained certain people with gifts, with a certain level of competency, to just help you find clarity. That's all we're trying to do. Just help you. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd just helps the sheep and guides the sheep. And that's a gift. That's a gift of clarity for your life. You don't like it? Don't blame me. I'm going to be in Capitol Hill in a couple months, all right? <laughs> you do not have to come if you don't want to. Verse number two. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So number one, this church had gifted, diverse leaders. But number two, the people in the church weren't just letting the leaders do the heavy lifting. They weren't just waiting for, you know, Saul to get an anointed word from God to deliver on a Sunday morning or Barnabas to give that prophetic word, although you should come on Wednesday night for that prophetic word next week. But they had an expectation. They were coming to meet with God. They were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. They stepped into the house of God saying, God, we want to meet with you. We, have, we want to have a word from you. They weren't spectating. They weren't complaining about being overlooked. They weren't calling the front office to find out who was preaching this Sunday. They were going to church with an expectation that God was going to speak to them. They were fasting. They were worshiping. Now, me and my family, we just moved to Washington, D.C. And for the, my entire life, growing up in a Christian home, we've gone to church every Sunday morning, almost without fail. Never second-guessed it, never thought anything different. That's just what we did. Being on staff at a church, guess what? I was going to church most Sundays. I know it's a big shocker to you. But for the first time in my life, most of my responsibilities here have been transi transitioned to somebody else. Instead of living 10 minutes away, I live an hour and 20 minutes away with traffic. And now I actually have a decision. Should I go to church today? Now, listen, I don't care how bad I'm feeling. I don't want to get fired, so I'm going to go to church, okay? <laughs> But just to be completely real with you, I'm thinking about, okay, taking my family, four young kids, and driving out there, and coming and driving back, and then we're going to be behind on groceries, and what about the lawn I got to mow? Maybe it would be easier just to tune in online. It's this manna from heaven, the online church, baby. <laughs> but then I have to remind myself, why am I going to church? Yeah. Is it for convenience? Or is it because I have an expectation that my king is worthy of worship. 
And then if I drive an hour and 20 minutes or an hour or whatever it's going to be, and I, me and my wife, we take our kids and one is going to, you know, causing a temper tantrum in the background and there's chaos and there's things flying in the back seat. There's half-eaten Oreos back there and all hell is breaking loose on our way to church. That's my offering to my king. That's my sacrifice to him. He's worthy of that worship. This church had an expectation. You know what I love about God? When his people come hungry for him, he doesn't disappoint. He speaks. He moves. And so verse 2, they come, they're worshiping, they're fasting, and the Holy Spirit says, doesn't tell us how he spoke. Don't know if Saul had a word. Don't know if Barnabas had a word. Don't know if it was an anointed sermon that night. Don't know if it was a worship session that Pastor Tiffany broke things open. I don't know. It doesn't really matter because the Holy Spirit spoke. And sometimes he uses the worship. Sometimes he uses the word. Sometimes he uses that brother who bumps into you in the hallway and gives you a word of encouragement. But the bottom line is he speaks. And he brings that sudden clarity. And he speaks so specifically. He says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Now, the church had a very clear direction from Jesus. Jesus says in the beginning of Acts, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. Basically, take this gospel, take it to the known world. Very clear, very simple. Difficult to execute, but very simple. Later on, Acts chapter 7, Saul, who would become Paul, gets a very specific word for a calling for his life. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Sorry, not Acts 7. Acts chapter 9. And Ananias, the Holy Spirit, speaks to him and says, Hey, go to Saul, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. So Saul had a very specific call. Take the gospel to the Gentiles. So what's happening in this moment? The church already knew they were supposed to go to the, to the Gentiles. Saul knew specifically he had a calling for the Gentiles. So what's happening right here? Well, can I suggest to you that God uses his church to bring about the timing of his word. The timing of his word. See, Saul knew at some point this was his calling. The church knew that they were going to go to the known parts of the world, but they didn't know when. And as they're worshiping, as they're fasting, suddenly in the midst of their uncertainty, they're trying to figure this stuff out. Suddenly a word from God breaks in. Now's the moment. These two guys are the guys. Now go make it happen. As a young adult pastor for the last couple years, I was always amazed at how young adults who love Jesus, who consider me my pastor, I'd find out very important details about their life sometime way later. People serving on my team. Hey, Pastor Stephen, guess what? I got married. I didn't even know you were dating someone. <laughs> Pastor Stephen, I took a job. The Lord's provided. I'm moving to this place, California. Better pay. Must be the Lord. And you know what I said to him? God bless you. God be with you. I'm rooting for you. But I can't speak into their life. I can't provide any counsel. I'm not looking to necessarily. I'm not trying to change what they heard from God. But oftentimes, the timing was off. Don't, haven't you experienced that in your own life? You have a clear word from God. God is calling you. For us, it was to D.C. God called us to D.C. Sure as day. Had no doubt about it. 
I thought it was going to happen four years ago. I was ready to go. But it was my local church. It was my leaders who helped me process. You know what? Actually, we need to help you work on this part of your character. You know what? Maybe if you wait a bit bit longer, there might be some people who actually go with you. Maybe, you know what? If we wait a couple years, you won't start a church in a pandemic. And I know pastors who've started a church in pandemics. And I'm so grateful for them and their faith and their courage. I'm just glad that wasn't my testimony, y'all. The point is that timing of God is perfect, and he puts people in our lives, small group leaders and small groups and people that are leading our service teams and church pastors to help us navigate what God is saying, not to change it, not to tell us that you're not hearing from God, not to manipulate our lives, but to help guide us and to give us the right timing and to give us wisdom. Set apart Barnabas and Saul. The moment is now. The church was expectant to hear from God. God breaks in with a sudden clarity in his perfect timing. Now, here's the final point. Final point. Verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So after God spoke, the church participated in the sending. The church had diverse, anointed leaders, The church had an expectancy when they met. But finally, they were ascending church. They participated in the sending. They participated in the transition. If you look at verse 3, it says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. Now, who is they? It can't be the five guys because two of them are being prayed for. They're getting hands laid on them. They is the entire church. Just like it was in Acts chapter 2. Just like it was in Acts chapter 4. Just like it was in Acts 1 chapter earlier. They was the whole people of God participating in the mission of God. Participating in what God was doing through these leaders and through the whole church. They were a part of it. And that can't happen fully online. Maybe I'm beating a dead horse, but I really want you to get this. You can't lay hands on someone online. You can raise a virtual hand, but you can't lay a virtual hand on someone else for their healing. My daughter, who I've told the story many a times, I won't rehash it here, but basically she was at this critical point where she was not walking, and most kids her age was walking. And I'll never forget Brian Schweppe, Pastor Donnell, with me and my wife laying hands on her for her to walk. And months later, she walked. I remember Pastor Brett's ordination here a couple months ago. We thought it was just about him. We thought it was about a new level he was going, and it certainly was. But as, his, as people laid hands on him, all of a sudden there was a collective faith that built in the room. All of a sudden our vision got bigger. We started thinking about the city. We started thinking about eight churches in eight wards. And we recognized that something happens in the room that can't happen when we're not together. There's an impartation. Love podcasts, love watching sermons later, love tuning in online on the, on the rare occasion, but you can't get our impartation online. You can't get impartation 
by yourself having a Bible study alone. Important that you have your own Christian devotion and you spend time with God, but there's something when we're together that happens in terms of impartation. And here's the result. Here's the result. Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3, this little short passage that seemingly is insignificant is a huge shift, not just for the church of Antioch, but for the whole Christian movement. Because Acts chapter 2 through 7, it's in Jerusalem. Persecution happens, Acts chapter 8 through 12, it's Judea, Samaria. You, see, start, you start seeing pockets of Gentiles being ministered to. You start seeing this movement. But Acts 13 is the big transition where the Apostle Paul and Barnabas go out on their first missionary journey. Oh, by the way, there'd be a second missionary journey. Oh, by the way, there'd be a third missionary journey. And you know those cities, like the most important cities of the ancient world, cities like Athens and Corinth and Ephesus and Rome and this nation of Spain, yeah, all those cities all those nations were reached as a result of what happened in Acts chapter 13. This people, this small little church in Antioch, trying to figure out what is God doing? What is God saying? Famine, and you got change of leadership and change of ministry and all this chaotic stuff, but said, you know what? We're going to seek God despite all this uncertainty. We're going to believe God that he's going to speak to you. The Holy Spirit speaks. He gives a clear word. These two guys are commissioned. They go throughout the whole known world preaching the gospel and Christianity spreads. And the reason here at Grace Covenant Church in the 21st century, in, gen, in whatever month it is of 2021, we're sitting here. It's because of what happened in that room. It's because some people said, you know what? There might, God might be bigger than who's going to lead this church. God might be bigger than just one church in Chantilly. Maybe we should start thinking bigger. Maybe we should start thinking about eight churches in eight wards. Maybe we should start thinking about all of Route 7. Maybe instead of thinking about, well, who's going to preach this Sunday and who's going to be the leader and I hope my needs are met. Maybe we start, start thinking about who are the next eight worship leaders? Who are the next eight campus ministers? Who are the next eight senior pastors? Who are the next elders? Who are the next deacons? Who are the next thousands of church members who are going to finance this thing and go with these church plants and pray for these church plants. A sudden clarity, a change in trajectory, a change in focus, a change in perspective that would never have happened if people didn't go to church. I mentioned earlier that I had the privilege of serving as the young adult ministry pastor. And I'll never forget the Sunday that we were going to announce the Capitol Hill church plant. Pastor Brett had said, you know what? I don't want to announce the Capitol Hill church plant until we have a leader identified for our young adult ministry. Because I don't want all the young adults to go, well, what about us? Sunday, we're announcing it. Friday, two days before, I had no clue who was going to be the pastor of the young adult ministry. None. Two days before. I was in a fog. I was praying in tongues. I was praying, paint on the wall. I was, no, I was crying and asking God for mercy is what I was doing. And I got on the phone with Pastor June. And suddenly, a sudden clarity. And the two of us are talking. And he said, you know, me and my wife, Sarah, have been praying about this and thinking about this. And we think God is calling us to be a part of it. We were talking on the phone. He couldn't see me. But I, if I could do a backflip, I would have done a backflip. And this last Friday, 
We had our first young adult united service. Latino, Korean, Chantilly, Sterling, over 100 young adults who came with an expectation. And God is doing an incredible thing. It's bigger than who's the leader. It's bigger than just a demographic. It's what God wants to do in us as a people for the world out there. How do you know it's going to work? That's, that's what I'm closing with today. That's what I'm closing with today. How do we know? I mean, Acts 13, cool, Antioch. Obviously, it worked for them. Okay, you convinced me of that, Pastor Stephen. But how do we know it's going to work here in Chantilly? Because I know you're a knucklehead, Stephen. I look at... Pastor AJ, Pastor Tyler, they're knuckleheads. Maybe you're thinking that. You don't know the gifting. You don't know the anointing. Here's why I know it's going to work. Because underlying this whole text is not about these five men. Underlying this whole text is not about a group of Christians who were just Christian enough to come with an expectation. Underlying this whole text weren't Christians who were holy enough to say, hey, we better send these guys out. Underlying this whole text is the Holy Spirit. You're clapping, but I want to give you the full revelation so you can clap a little bit harder, so you can get as excited as I am about this. Who picked those guys from the palace of Herod to Jerusalem, to the parts of Africa? Who assembled that team for that city? Whose timing was it to say, right now is the moment? Who broke through with a word to set apart Saul and Barnabas? Who, when the church laid hands on these brothers, filled with, with power and anointing these two men as they went across the world preaching the gospel? Who, when they opened their mouth, Saul and Barnabas, and people got saved, when they extended their hand and people got healed? Who anointed them? Who filled them? Who gave them the words? Who converted people's hearts and lives? It was the Holy Spirit. I love the leaders here. These guys are brothers and sisters to me. I don't, there's not a group on the planet that I love more. But my confidence isn't in us. My confidence is in the Holy Spirit, the timing of God, the plan of God that goes back to, back to the foundation of the world. God is going to do it. The Holy Spirit's going to do it. And the question for you and me today, beyond just are we going to show up to church, is are we going to participate with what God is doing? And tonight we have a moment to participate in what Jesus has already done in communion. We look back to his sacrifice, what he accomplished on the cross. And we celebrate that act as the basis by which we preach this gospel. That's all this thing is about, is telling people about Christ and him crucified. And that's what we celebrate as a family, in person. Those of you who are watching online, I'm sure you have a great excuse of being online next week. Join us in person so we can do this together. Jesus said about his body, he took the bread, he broke it and said, break, I break this bread for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup and he said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take, drink this juice, remembering what Jesus did on the cross for our sins.
Father, we, we just thank you that you're infinitely more wise than us and that you're not surprised by where we find ourselves today, what's happening in the world, what's happening in this church, what's happening in our own personal lives with transitions. But we look to you, Holy Spirit, we look to you. We follow your lead. Help us to participate in what you're doing. Help us to trust our leaders despite their imperfections. Help us to lay hands to comfort each other, to encourage each other, to do all the things that you've called us to do that happen in person when we gather together. We want to be a church that brings you glory, that represents you well to this world. In Jesus' name.